we uh, our our prison ministry. It's led by uh, Vince. Uh, we're just starting in Mark, and uh, it's it's going to be really neat. But the the prison ministry has been a, a tremendous blessing me personally and, and getting to know the gentlemen that, that are faithfully a part of it every month has been a been very uh, a very big deal for me in, in the last year year and a half um, now you could hear Vince preaching on we're going to start in I'm sorry Mark chapter 1 and the passage we're going to cover is, is uh, verse 14 through 20 could hear Vince preaching about verse 1 through 14, but you would have to be in prison. I'm trying to not be quite so stringent. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him now in the context of, of Mark in this narrative of course we have uh, in, in the very first verse in Mark saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if we go all the way over to chapter 15, verse 39, talking about the centurions, it's right after the crucifixion, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Those two verses are the bookends of Jesus' ministry. So we're going to look at the passage, that, uh, our passage tonight with, with that focus. In that passage, I think that we can see God is very deliberate in everything he does. And we will see how Jesus was deliberate in three specific areas of his ministry. Incidentally, we should be just as deliberate in ours. In verse 14, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee and proclaiming the gospel of God. This was kind of a big deal. You see, in John the Baptist was fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah right over there at the very beginning of Mark. Behold, I send a messenger 
my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist is, is fulfilling that prophecy from Isaiah. Jesus Christ coming into Galilee is fulfilling yet another prophecy from Isaiah, chapter 9, when it talks about, but in the latter time he's made his glorious way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. People who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Now we know that that's a direct reference. We know that this is a fulfillment because in Matthew chapter 4, it says he, ref he references the exact same passage. The land of Zebedee, Zebulun, I'm sorry, and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in the darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has, drawn, has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There in Matthew, it says, Jesus preached. In our passage, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. And in Luke, it says he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So here we see that first thing that Jesus was very deliberate about in his ministry. He proclaimed, he preached, and he taught the gospel of God. Which is the good news from God himself. He is the source. That good news is him fulfilling his promises. Now in verse 15, this was easy, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you ever need a one verse gospel presentation, I don't know that there's one any better than Mark chapter 1 verse 15. It's just kind of got it all in there. Now, when I'm studying, and, and as I've been studying, and, and with Scott and Vince and them through the prison ministry and on my own, I noticed I got in the habit of looking up definitions of words that I just, you know, I didn't want to. I, well, yeah, I know what that is. I know what kingdom is. I know what a kingdom is, right? But I wanted to, sometimes I've been surprised. The definition was actually just a little bit different. So I do look up definitions a lot. The definition of kingdom is the territory over which a king or queen has authority. Now this is God's sovereign rule over all his creation. A visible manifestation of God's reign over the universe. Again, this is exciting for the Jews. These two prophecies are being fulfilled, or it looks like they're being fulfilled, and they're expecting a future messianic kingdom because of 
all of those prophecies in the Old Testament. But looking at all of those prophecies, well, and the one thing that, that uh, when Seth spoke to me there before we started, it, it struck me. Their situation is not that different from ours in the way they looked at things. They were looking toward a future message, uh, a Davidic kingdom uh, because of those prophecies. They were looking through the prophecies and waiting for that time to come. One of those prophecies in Daniel 244 says, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. They had those promises. They had those prophecies they were looking forward to, and they looked forward to them so much. I mean, that's, that's that's a wonderful kingdom to look for. And they even sang about it in their psalms. They talked about it. They, they just like we do tonight, just like we did tonight. In Psalm 145, 11, 13, 11 through 13, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. We're looking at it. Now what makes that kingdom, that kingdom that they're looking for, what makes that kingdom at hand? What makes it near? presence of the king that's where we're looking at it the time is fulfilled it's begun because Christ came they were looking at it through these prophecies and waiting for it and yet we are too but we're looking at it through the cross we're living in the already not yet time between Christ's first coming and his second the kingdom of God has, is at hand. It has begun, and yet the, established, the full establishment of his kingdom isn't complete. Now, being a citizen of that kingdom, of a kingdom, means that you are under the rule and protection of the king. Whatever you do, whatever your occupation, in one way or another in service to the king and his kingdom. But if you want to be a part of that kingdom, you have to obey the king. We must go before the king, and we've all heard Brian say this, and I love it. We must go before the king on his terms, not ours. We don't get to negotiate our residency. So in this scripture, what, what does the king require? Repent. 
and believe in the gospel. Again, I looked up the definition. Repent or turn away from an existing object of trust. And we got to thinking about it. I was talking to Rocky last night, and, and we were talking about it, and he said, you know, repentance or repent is kind of, in our day, in our culture, has kind of taken a softer tone, you know. It doesn't have to necessarily mean turn away from. It's, you know, a, a, an intellectual consent that this is wrong, okay, I've changed my mind, that was wrong. That seems to be okay, you know, kind of an, a, an acceptable uh, definition or thought of repentance. And he and I were talking about it, and of course, uh, he gave me a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful example. He said, well, If you were unfaithful to your spouse and your spouse and you were caught, your spouse found out about it, and you said, Honey, yeah, I I've changed my mind about you. I cheated, yes, but I, I've changed my mind about you. Does that even make sense? Would that play? Would she accept that? No. The, the 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 intellectual consent of that that was wrong and I've changed my mind doesn't that's not an acceptable uh, form of repentance. Now the definition, of course, believe to accept is true. The one definition I found I, I love it said to commit oneself wholeheartedly to an object of faith. In the, layman, in, in the layman's Bible encyclopedia, this book I've got, it defines repentance. Repentance, we're back to repentance now. This, it is a recognition and disavowal of one's sin coupled with the embracing of a new way of life in conformity with the teachings of I love that. It's not enough just to turn away from our sin. What Jesus was saying, although every time that he proclaimed and preached and taught, was turn away from your sins and commit yourself wholeheartedly to me. Because if we don't, we will turn to something. You can't turn away from sin and say, well, you know, I'm just going to stay. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to ride the fence and not really commit to anything. It can't be done. You can't not, you cannot not believe in something. Now, looking at those, thinking about that kingdom, looking at it through 
our side of it through the cross. What does that look like? We've seen it through Psalm and Daniel. In Galatians 4 it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. First chapter of Ephesians. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We have that kingdom we look for demands it, it, it wants our wholehearted commitment. Christ wants our wholehearted commitment. And nothing else is going to do. It was a co-worker probably, I don't know, eight or ten years ago. Uh, there was a co-worker that I was feebly trying to uh, witness to. We were down in the hotel in Nashville. He started talking about his mother. She was terminally ill. And I asked if she was a believer. He said, oh, yeah, 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 she's read the Bible. And she studied Islam, and she's uh, read about Hinduism and some Indian, American Indian ritual rites and uh, Wiccan. I mean, she studied it all. And it sounds like I'm trying to set this up or something, and I'm not. This is what he said. She wanted to cover her bases because she knew one of them had to be right. I could go back now and have that conversation that we were having I was I didn't really know what to say but the first thing that hit my mind was you know you can't do that right you can't do what I said if you believe anything else you're breaking the first commandment well they're basically all the same anyway and I said well your mother doesn't think so if she thought that they were all basically the same any one of them would cover they're not bottom line is she was hoping to get into a kingdom not the kingdom I was going to try to make some feeble joke or I, I thought about it 
when I was writing all this about Scott, because he's from Canada, we don't get to have dual citizenship. We can't be, we can't live, be of the world, live in, in this world and still be a member of the kingdom. requirements the requirements of the king are to repent and believe in the gospel they have to go together because without either one of them if one of those is absent it's idolatry People say that they believe in God, but they don't turn away from their sin. No repentance means you're, you want to be with God. You may or may not want to be with God, but you still want to hold on to your sin. Now, maybe you repented. Maybe you are sorry. Maybe you want to change your life. But you're like that co-worker's mother and you just don't know which one to believe in. You're going to end up with a false god. Usually ourselves. But either one of those is nothing more than an attempt to come to the king on our terms. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. At the end of that passage, it says, for the Lord your God, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We don't get it both ways. Now, back to our passage, if we go through 16 through 20, and kind of read it together, look at it together. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Here we see the second thing that Jesus is very deliberate about in his ministry. One of the interesting little facts or tidbits that I came across in, in studying was that in that time, people, pupils, young students or whatever, they would they would search for or try to find a rabbi or a priest to study under, you know. They would go to a synagogue and, and try to find one that kind of, I guess it was kind of like a school, you know, do you have an open seat or, or what have you. In this entire passage, through the Gospels, through all of it, Jesus Christ is seeking us. 
he was seeking out his disciples. Now here in that, pa in that entire passage it says, they left their nets and followed him. The King James Version says they forsook their nets. I like the sound of that better, and you know what's coming up. I looked up a definition. Forsake means to give up or leave. To renounce or turn away from entirely. Think about that. The Sea of Galilee is a warm water lake. It's about three miles, seven miles wide, 13 miles long. And it presented a thriving fishing industry. Simon, Andrew, James, and John were working class men. James and John's father, Zebedee, had hired servants, which implies that it was a family business and apparently a pretty successful one if they had servants helping too. A business that they would no doubt inherit. And anybody that's been in business for themselves knows how hard the other two work. These men had something to lose. These men were doing more than just giving up their possessions for a while. They were giving up their livelihood. There was no, like my co-worker's mother, there was no covering their bases. It wasn't a whim. Well, let's try this for a while. If it doesn't work out, we'll do something else. They forsook. they obviously understood what that meant and what that entailed just like we would understand it today because if we look in Matthew 19 with the rich young ruler right he goes to the uh, goes to Jesus and says what must I do to have eternal life Which one? And he lists them. He says, those I've done. All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Now, I didn't even get into this, but I find it very interesting that he claims he had kept all of them and he still knew there was something missing. But that just struck me as interesting. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. But we can see the similarities between Jesus calling his disciples and calling us, can't we? He seeks us out. 
we are required to repent, forsake our sin and the world, to believe in the gospel and follow him. And we know there in Matthew that why Herod put John the Baptist in prison. Because he was preaching against what he was doing. He wanted his brother's wife, and he said, it's not lawful for you to have her. And I tried to think of a fancy way to kind of tie this up all in a neat little bow. But fact of the matter is the third thing that Jesus Christ did deliberately in his ministry he spent the rest of his life preparing those disciples to proclaim, preach and teach the gospel and it was a message that would cost him their life it was that important I got part of a vote uh, Vince, I was using a a Vince quote in some emails that we were exchanging, and I love it. His life and death was not a plan of God. It was the plan of God. It was the only plan of God, a divine necessity not a tragedy due to fate it was like everything else deliberate the call to follow Jesus the cost of entering the kingdom is absolute and it's all encompassing it's repentance from sin toward God. Believing the gospel of God is fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Finally, it's forsaking everything else and serving your king.